I want to pray for us as we uh, open this time uh, looking at God's Word. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just ask that your Spirit would be with us and open our hearts uh, to hear from you. Uh, Spirit, uh, lead us to truth. Lead us to Jesus. In this time we pray. Amen. If you've been with us for any amount of time, we have uh, been following the story of the book of Acts. We've been looking at the early church. Uh, at this point in the story, we've been looking uh, most closely at Paul's mis- missionary journeys that you see towards the middle and later half of the book of Acts. Uh, at our story here in Acts 20, Paul is headed to Jerusalem. He's a passenger on a merchant ship that is slowly making its way down the Aegean Sea towards the Mediterranean, visiting, uh, stopping at various port cities along the coast of Asia Minor. It's been decades since Paul's been to Jerusalem, and he's traveled, some estimate, over 7,000 miles uh, through the course of the various missionary journeys that he's been on. Here, uh, the ship is stopping at Miletus, and uh, it's on layover for uh, several days. So Paul's decided to uh, send for the elders in Ephesus. If you remember uh, last week, uh, uh, Paul had been in Ephesus for three years, living there, working there, ministering there. And so he calls for these elders to come. He's going to give them a farewell address. And so that's what we're looking at here in Acts 20. You should have the passage in your bulletin, or if you have your Bible, you can follow along. I'm going to be uh, referencing the the passage often, so if if you want to uh, get a pencil out or or look in your bulletin and mark some things, that might be helpful as well. We're starting at verse 17, picking up the story here. Uh, Would you mind standing with me as we read this portion of God's Word? Starting at verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessity and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word. You may be seated. On Sunday, October 28, 1787, William Wilberforce wrote in his journal about a life-transforming revelation. Through his study and examination of the horrors of buying and selling human beings, Wilberforce felt a powerful and binding call from, in his words, God Almighty to give his life towards the suppression of the slave trade. Wilberforce was convinced that God had given him the task of seeing slavery abolished in a day and time when most people believed that slavery was crucial for the economy of the British Empire, that it would all crumble if they abolished it. Wilberforce faced many obstacles in powerful opposition, but he was unwavering in his sense of calling. God had given him this task. He was going to see it through, and the world was changed. Now let me ask you, do you long for that sense of calling in your life? Do you envy people who wake up each day with passion and dedication for a cause that is meaningful and significant? Now, I think many of us today are living life in a haze in this regard. We don't have that sense of calling. We don't have that clarity, that sense of purpose. If you're in college or in your mid to late 20s, you might be in a place where you don't even know what you want to do with your life. You don't know what you, kind of career you want to have. And perhaps if you're a, a little older, either retired or close to retirement, you're struggling to determine what your value and worth is now that work is no longer a part of the picture. You know, are you supposed to just go out on the golf course and that's where you're supposed to spend your days? Has any meaningful and significant impact passed you by? Now, the Apostle Paul in this passage shows, shows us he was very much like Wilberforce. He lived with a clear sense of purpose. I want to draw your attention to verses 22 through 24 there. I'm going to read that section again. You can look in your bulletin. Uh, notice what Paul says. I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me 
In every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul here describes himself as constrained by the Spirit. Other translations use compelled by the Spirit or bound by the Spirit. It's almost as if Paul does not have a choice. Paul must respond. He must obey. He must, in his own words, finish the course, the ministry that Jesus gave him. There is such clarity for Paul. There is such passion for Paul. There is such boldness for Paul. Now, why do we lack that? Why do you lack that? Instead of being constrained by the Spirit, I think often we can be constrained by other things. Uh, notice the temptations Paul had to face that could have kept him from following Jesus in his life. Uh, for example, suffering and hardship. Sometimes suffering and hardship, the potential of suffering and hardship can constrain us from following God's call in our life. Notice, as Paul mentions in verses 19 and through 20, Paul talks about the trials that he has experienced over the years in his ministry. If you want to know some more details about what Paul experienced, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There Paul lays it out. He talks about how he has been uh, whipped. 30, there's been uh, five times that Paul had been whipped 39 times. That he had received three beatings by rods. Uh, he'd been stoned three times. He was shipwrecked. He was in danger from rivers, from robbers, from his own people, from Gentiles. Danger in the city, in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, he experienced many sleepless nights. In hunger and thirst, without food. In cold and exposure. And daily he talks about this pressure and anxiety he felt because of his care and concern for all the churches that he had helped start throughout the many uh, cities throughout the Mediterranean area. This was Paul's ministry experience. This was the hardship and suffering he experienced. And he talks in, in this farewell address. He's going to Jerusalem. He doesn't know what awaits him, but he knows it's going to involve hardship. It's going to involve imprisonment. He says that the Holy Spirit himself has testified to me that this is what awaits me. And yet he goes. And yet he goes. And I wonder how many of you have felt that tug on your heart from God to pursue a calling. You know he's calling you to, but you look at the path. You know the hardship it's going to involve. And you say, no, I can't do it. I can't follow you, Jesus. Because I don't want to endure that. I don't want to go through that. But we see with Paul's story that not only was suffering a part of his calling, Paul could have easily been constrained by his sense of obligation to the churches he was leaving behind. Now this isn't as obvious uh, an obstacle to following your calling. Uh, but I believe it's here. You know, Paul mentions in his speech that if he, when he leaves, that this church was going to experience these false teachers were going to be uh, 
were going to come and, and potentially lead people away from Jesus. And that Paul knew that was a real risk and a threat to the ministry there in Ephesus. And he was warning the elders, listen, you've got to watch out for this. So Paul knew that by leaving, by following Jesus, by going to Jerusalem, there was a potential that the church in Ephesus could crumble, could be led astray. And that sense of obligation to that church could have blocked, constrained Paul from following the calling that he had been given. I call it, uh, in some ways, a savior mentality. This idea that you have to be involved in everything. That that if you're not a part of it, it probably won't work. That's a temptation that a lot of leaders can fall into. I know in my own ministry... From starting this church with 12 people to where we are today, that has been a real temptation to feel like I've got to be involved, that I've got to be a part of it, that I've got to have my fingers in it, or else it isn't going to happen. And let me tell you, if I were to to succumb to that temptation, I would not be able to focus on the calling that Jesus has given me in leading this church. I would not have the time or the energy or the ability to be doing the things that Jesus has called me to do as a lead pastor. And I know some of you have probably experienced the same temptation. The feeling that you've got to be involved. You're not willing to take your hands off of it and let somebody else take care of it. But we also see that not only could suffering have constrained Paul, not only could obligation have constrained Paul, we also see these deep loving relationships could have constrained Paul. Uh, Notice in his farewell address, he talks about how he lived with these people for three years. For a long time, he did life with them, day and night, working with them, ministering with them, caring for them, encouraging them. He developed deep meaningful relationships with these elders in Ephesus. And he was leaving them, and he knew he was never going to see them again. And in verse 37, we're told that there was this, this moment where they were together. And you can, you can imagine the picture of Paul with uh, these elders from Ephesus, and they're weeping, they're crying, they're hugging as they're saying goodbye to him. And Paul had to be battling this sense of of sadness and grief, leaving behind these people that he loved so dearly. I think, um, you know, that must have been very hard for Paul to leave. But despite these obstacles, Paul was determined. Paul had that clear sense of calling. And one reason I think Paul's calling was so strong I think the reason Paul was able to overcome those obstacles is that his calling by Jesus was very personal. It's a very personal call. He was, we're told, constrained by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. It was a very personal calling. He says and describes it this way, that it's a calling that Jesus gave him. The Lord Jesus himself. And I think this is very important for us as Christians to think about when we talk about calling. Calling for us is personal. What I mean by that is, you know, if you take somebody who doesn't believe in God and they're trying to figure out what to do with their lives, you know, their sense of calling is going to be, hey, what do you want to do? 
maybe how do you want to help people? You, you, they have to create the meaning and purpose of their own calling. But for us as Christians, we believe it's something given to us by God. That God has us in mind for a specific task and that you and I have been created and shaped for that specific task. And, and I, I would argue there's much greater sense of fulfillment and meaning and purpose when you know you were created for something rather than it's just random, randomly you're, you're choosing whatever it is you want to do and that there's no meaning and purpose outside of you. Take the story, uh, uh, Chariots of Fire, for example, the story of Eric Little. He faced this, this tension and this challenge in what to do with his life. Whether to accept the call to China, to go to China as a missionary, or whether to run in the Olympics in 1924. Now, Little was one of the fastest men on the face of the earth at this time. In fact, he was the favorite to win the 100-yard dash. And perhaps you remember as Little was was discussing this with his friend who was challenging him, saying, listen, you're, you need to go to, to China. This running, it's, it's distracting you. And Little says this. He says in this movie, these compelling words, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. You can only feel his pleasure if you believe he created you to do something specific and unique to you. And I wonder, can you say that? Can you say, God made me for fill in the blank? And when I do that thing, I feel his pleasure. Can you say that? Do you know what that is? Paul knew he, uh, God had made him for a specific task. And he tells us in verse 24, he says, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was groomed to bring the gospel to the Gentiles throughout the Mediterranean region. There was no one else that could do it like Paul. And Paul understood this unique calling was to share the good news of Jesus with the world. And this calling was so personal for Paul. And I love that he talks about the gospel of the grace of God. You see, Paul had a firm grasp of the gospel. And I've got to believe that as Paul thought about the gospel and his calling, he had to remember that it was Jesus Christ who had a calling himself. That Jesus Christ had a calling from his Father. And that calling involved suffering and hardship. Jesus had to follow a path to the cross. And Jesus knew, knew, he knew it was going to lead to his death. And extreme suffering. And Jesus followed. And Jesus knew that he was leaving behind his disciples. That he had to trust that his disciples would pick up his mission. And carry the news about God's love for all people. Jesus had to give that to his disciples. And then Jesus, who had lived with his followers for three years, on the night before he was betrayed, we get that sense of that deep connection, that sorrow, that grief of, of leaving his friends. And yet, despite all those things, Jesus followed the call the Father had given to him. He was constrained by what? By his love for you. 
See, I think Paul is constrained by the Spirit because he knows Lord Jesus was constrained by his love for him. That Jesus was willing to give his life for him. And so Paul, therefore, was willing to give his life for Jesus. James Calvert was a young pioneer missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands. And while sailing to Fiji, the ship's captain was trying to dissuade Calvert from, from going. He, he finally got so concerned, he said to him, You will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. And Calvert calmly responded, We died before we came. We died before we came. I love how Paul puts it here in the passage. He says, I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself. Paul had the same experience. Paul talks about how he has died with Christ. To truly sense the purpose God has for your life, death must come. You must die to your own agenda for your life. To have that passion and purpose that God would have for you. Paul experienced it. Calvert experienced it. Wilberforce experienced it. I think that's what's so hard for us today. Oz Guinness, in talking about our calling, he describes that our modern day experiences were so uh, blinded by our, our material uh, uh, possessions and our wealth and our comfort that we have, you know, we're, we're spiritually starving. And he, he argues that the reason, uh, you know, we struggle with this sense of meaning and purpose is we have too much to live with and too little to live for. And I think all the stuff that we have, it, it, it numbs us. It numbs us. We have to die to these things in order to, to hear Jesus' call to live our lives for him, to die to this sense of a comfortable life. Think about relationships. How relationships, again, can, they can block us to responding to the call of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus isn't saying we have to hate our family. What he's saying is, if you're not willing to put him first, then you are not responding to his call to follow. No greater words have been spoken than the words from Jesus, follow me. Are you answering? Now, let's be honest. Calling is a tough topic because... It's so elusive. It's so mysterious. I know so many of you are sitting here. You're either in jobs that you don't feel passionate about or you're in this place that you don't know what's next for you. Maybe you're a mom who's at home and you think, what's, you know, I, 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 what's my meaning and purpose? I cl clean poopy diapers all day. <laughs> Calling is, is hard. It's difficult. You know, for Paul, it was so easy, wasn't it? I mean, Clearly, the Holy Spirit had been speaking to him. Uh, he had this amazing vision on the road to Damascus. I mean, Jesus blinded him and spoke to him. It was clear for Paul. It's not clear for us. 
How can, how can we figure out what our calling is? You know, uh, Wilberforce's story is so interesting. Wilberforce, before he decided to get into politics, almost went into full-time ministry. He almost missed his calling. But fortunately, John Newton, the famous converted slave trader who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, persuaded Wilberforce that God wanted him to stay in politics instead of going into the church. Praise God he did. And I think that's an important lesson for us, that if you're in that place and you're searching and you're struggling, what is God's calling on my life? I would say, obviously, prayer and study and reflection and time alone is important, but you also should invite people into your life to speak truth to you, to say, you know, what do you see me doing? What do you think God might be calling me to? You know, where do you see my gifts? Invite people into your life who can speak to this. God God can use them. God can use them. And I would, add, I would add one other element to this. I think sometimes that, uh, you know, for us today, we struggle so much with this sense of calling. We're looking for that unique call, like Wilberforce, the unique call to see slave, the slave trade end, or the unique call that Paul had to, to be this missionary and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, and, and maybe some of you know your unique call. Maybe it's to be a pediatrician. Maybe it's to be an English teacher. Maybe it's to be uh, stay at home with your kids. Whatever it might be, some of you know that. Others of you are fuzzy, and and you're and so you're sitting back with your arms crossed, just kind of passively waiting. What does God want me to do? I don't know. And so you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. You're stuck, you're waiting, God isn't answering. And so I would argue that that maybe God hasn't made his unique calling to you clear yet, but what he has made clear is his general calling on your life, the calling that all Christians have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you might say, well, Jason, that's so vague. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, you're supposed to follow it. You're supposed to respond in your context, in your situation. Don't sit back. Don't be passive. Love calls you to pursue. Love calls you to initiate. Love calls you you to engage and stop sitting there passively waiting. Jesus is calling you to love him above all else and to follow. Will you respond? The journalist Malcolm Muggeridge was a convert to faith later in life, but during his college days uh, at Cambridge, he wrote to a friend his own epitaph. And this is what he wrote. He said, Here lieth one whose soul sometimes burned with great longings, to whom sometimes the curtain of the infinite was open just a little, but who lacked the guts to make any use of it. I pray that would not be true of you. Let me pray for us.
Lord Jesus, as we come in this time and we're encouraged by the example of Paul and Lord Jesus as we see how you lived a life on mission, a life pursuing the call of our Father in heaven. I, I pray that we would be energized and, and compelled and pushed out of, our, out of our haze, out of our indecisiveness, Jesus. Shake us, awaken us, breathe life into us so that what we might respond, that we might be agents of your love in the world, that you might use us, Jesus, for your kingdom. We look forward to seeing that happen in our lives so that we can give you glory and honor you with all that we do, Jesus. We pray in your name, amen.